So my name is Michael. I've been working with the Leprosy Mission since uh, about Christmas. Um, so I know all there is to know about leprosy. Um, so we'll see how we get on. <laughs> uh, but I'm not new to leprosy, so we'll, uh, we'll talk a bit about that later. Uh, this is just some... I thought it'd be good to introduce myself to start with. This is uh, my, my family. Uh, Rosie, my wife, uh, we've been married 20 years this year. And uh, you can see there we've got four boys. They range from 11, 16, 24 and 26. Two eldest my stepsons. And uh, the eldest is married. You can see Abby in the bottom here. Josh and Abby are um, they're youth pastors in Chester. Um, and yes, so we've got a busy, full house, uh, full of life, and uh, everything else that goes with having four boys. These are some pictures of me when I was growing up. Uh, Mum and Dad were missionaries. So my sister and I grew up in the Congo, uh, right in the middle of the rainforest. We had um, 500 miles to the west was Kinshasa, 500 miles to the east was Kigali in Rwanda. And in between those two major cities was just dense jungle, and we lived right in the middle of there. Um, my dad uh, had quite a, a conversion to Christianity. He was a sworn atheist. He'd had a really rough upbringing. And um, God sort of grabbed him and changed his heart very quickly. And he, he threw himself into, um, into Christian work, really. Um, he ran youth groups in the council estates. Um, he uh, worked for Tear Fund as a rep. Um, manning a tear craft stall every Saturday. And uh, so from going to having no, no uh, church influence whatsoever, we were completely immersed in church. And uh, within a couple of years, God, Dad was at a, Mum and Dad were at a mission meeting, and um, God, God really spoke to them and, and, and sort of said, said to my dad, like, um, are you willing to give up everything and follow me? And he said, well, yeah, I'll do whatever you want, God. And uh, within a couple of weeks, God had called him to be a missionary. And um, so we went to Africa. And Dad went there to set up, uh, to work, to run a carpentry workshop. Uh, when we got there, realized that you can't buy wood, you can't buy nails, you can't buy screws, you can't buy glues, anything like that. Uh, fortunately, we lived in the jungle, so wood was available. You just had to cut it down and cut it into planks. You can see here, there's half a tree over a pit and this eight foot saw with a guy on top pulling the saw up and a guy in the pit down below pulling it down again. It was really hard work, but that's how they cut the wood into planks. And then you can see here, they made furniture and um, realized as well that uh, there was a lot more practical skills that were needed. So um, he was teaching brick making brick laying, uh, house building. This is a house they made for one of the teachers. And this was a school they were building. Uh, you can see here there's a kiln of bricks being burnt where they would burn for three days and three nights to turn them into beautiful golden hard bricks from, from soft clay, really. Um, so Dad was teaching all sorts of practical skills. Uh, some horticulture you can see in the middle there. And uh, he was trained as a boat builder in Liverpool. Um, so we've got even some boats that they built. Being in the rainforest, the rivers were the easiest way of getting around because um, they weren't overgrown with jungle. <laughs> so they built some river boats. Um, and uh, you can see there the, the picture here of the 
This was generally the state of the roads. This was our equivalent of the M6. It was the main road through the country. Um, so, so yes, the rivers were much easier to get, get along by. So, uh, so that's where I grew up. It was an old missionary station that was set up in the late 1800s. Um, set up as a hospital and a primary school to start with. Uh, when the doctor set up the hospital, he realized there was a huge problem with leprosy there. Uh, so five miles into the jungle, into the swamps, they found an island where they set up a leprosy colony. And uh, that was where we lived. Uh, so these guys here were the leprosy patients that lived in our village. So I grew up really knowing firsthand what, what leprosy does to people and really the, the devastating effects it has on people. We lived in a slash and burn society where um, <clears throat> there weren't any shops, you couldn't go and buy food, uh, you had to go and grow it or go and catch it. Um, and the, the leprosy patients were just too disabled for that. They, they couldn't do any of that. Um, they, you know, they, could, they could wonder about 50 yards from their own house and that was it really. Um, so they were completely reliant on other people to feed them and to look after them. And this was in a culture where you look after family alone. Um, you really, everybody else doesn't matter. Unless they're your immediate family, you don't do anything for them. So these people, of course, with leprosy, as you know, there's a huge stigma. Um, so they were rejected by their families, rejected by their communities. They came to the hospital to get treatments. They were cured of leprosy. Uh, but the families wouldn't receive them back. So they had no one to go back to, and they had no one to look after them, and they had no social security or anything like that. So it really was the work of the leprosy mission that kept them going, it kept them alive, and it, and it gave them a reason to live, really. So that was, that was uh, sort of a bit about my upbringing. Uh, I've, uh, for the past 27 years, I've been involved with um, cabinet making, interior design, um, bespoke stuff, so I've been doing that, running a business for the last 15 years and uh, had to close the business last year. And somebody said to me, oh, this job's at the leprosy mission. Why? What do you think about it? And I thought, oh, well, quite fancy that. Yeah, I've got a little bit of synergy with leprosy. So I'm quite new to this uh, whole thing, really. But uh, you can see it's not new to me. Jesus was, uh, was asked, what is the greatest commandment he said love the lord your god with all your passion and prayer and intelligence this is the first the most important and the first on any list but there is a second commandment that runs alongside it love others as well as you love yourself these two commands are pegs and everything in god's law and the prophets hangs from them. I love this verse. We know, don't we, as Christians, when, we, when our eyes are opened and we become Christians, we, we realise that a relationship with God changes everything. It's the most important thing for us. And if you don't have a relationship with God, pursue it. God says, seek me. Seek me with all of your heart and you will find me. And having that relationship with God is the most important thing that we can do in our lives because it gives us validation. It tells us why we've been created and who has created us and, and, and why he's done that. But set alongside it, not as a second command below it, but as equal as loving God with all your heart, 
is loving other people as much as you love yourself. I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about a locker. Any idea where she is? Bangladesh. Someone read the memo. Very good. <laughs> She's picking tea leaves in the tea gardens of Bangladesh. And uh, these tea gardens are huge. They say they're roughly about the size of a county. Um, which is where we get a lot of our tea from. The great British drink. You know. I'm told 20% uh, of us put the milk in first when we make a cup of tea. Some show of hands. Who puts the milk in first? The minority, that's okay then. Some churches I go to, everyone puts their hand up. I'm like, oh no, I feel completely outnumbered. <laughs> it's funny what divides us, isn't it, as people? But uh, yes, no, I am passionately a uh, put the milk in afterwards kind of person. So these tea gardens are huge. That's a picture of them there, one, one of them run to about the size of a county and you can see there there are about 600,000 people who live and work in the tea gardens in Bangladesh and almost every family is affected by leprosy when I read that I was completely dumbfounded every family being affected by leprosy so I looked up I thought 600,000 is just it just becomes like monopoly numbers, doesn't it? It doesn't mean anything to us. We know it's a big number. Uh, looked up the population of Manchester, about 552,000. Population of Liverpool, about 525,000. Cardiff, 515,000. So if you can imagine, Cardiff, Liverpool or Manchester, any one of those cities, and everyone who lives there has got a family member affected by leprosy. That's the scale of the problem. Uh, this year we're celebrating 150 years of the leprosy mission and we've been treating people all over the world for, 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 for that amount of time for leprosy and since the 1930s we've been giving them treatments, since the 19, 1982 there's been a complete cure for leprosy and we found leprosy in the tea gardens in 2017 which I think is just staggering, isn't it? You tend to think that we live in this well-connected world where we know what's going on, and yet here there's a massive community of people that were hidden away until 2017. It's the highest concentration of leprosy in the world, and it's the highest concentration of leprosy transmission in the world as well. So we've got quite a mountain to climb in Bangladesh. Alaka got diagnosed with leprosy working in the tea gardens, when I first heard the word leprosy, I was so frightened. If the leprosy mission had not been here to help, I'm sure I would die. Leprosy is a, it's, it's a disease that we just don't see in Britain, isn't it? There's, there's almost no cases in Britain. Um, But I was thinking about this and thinking in 2019 I was diagnosed with cancer. And um, what an emotional roller coaster that is. You know, it is for you, it is for your family, for your friends. Um, and I'm grateful that 
for me, my family rallied around. My friends rallied around. Our church rallied around. Um, we've got a great healthcare system. But with leprosy, it affects the poorest of the poor. And because of the stigma, your family don't rally around. They reject you. Your friends reject you. Your community rejects you. And there's no good healthcare system either. So it really is reliant on the leprosy mission and a couple of other charities similar to look after people with leprosy. And we know, don't we, that over there, nearly every family is affected by leprosy. Over here, almost every family is affected by cancer. Um, and it's a horrible thing, and it's like a, a punch in the gut when you, when you find out a family member is, is a, affected by cancer. My father-in-law's um, going through chemotherapy now, uh, and it's just a real ordeal, isn't it, to go through? And leprosy is as well. We're going to hear a little bit about Alaka's story from her, hopefully. In the beautiful tea gardens of Bangladesh, the air is fresh and you can hear the chatter of the tea pickers and the birds singing above them. But while the trees and tea shrubs flourish, an invasive weed has taken root. Leprosy. This feared disease is more common here than anywhere else in the world and nearly every family is affected by leprosy. Fathers, mothers and children too. If leprosy is not stopped now, there will be devastating consequences, not only for those working in the tea gardens, but for the whole of Bangladesh. My name is Aloka Gonju and I live with my family in the tea gardens. Everything I do is for my family. I want them to have a good life. I worked in the tea gardens picking leaves for about 40 years. Every day before the sun has barely risen, I walk 15 kilometers to work. Two years ago, I noticed a small discolored patch on my left hand. It didn't seem to cause any problems at first, so I carried on working. But over time, I lost the strength in my hand. My fingers became stiff and bent. I really struggled to grip the tea leaves and pull them off the bushes. I can't carry or hold anything with my left hand anymore. As my hands slowly got weaker, I was overwhelmed with worry. Who would look after me and my family if I couldn't work? Without my job, we'd also lose our home. I felt sick with stress and lost a lot of weight. How would we survive? Someone doing health screening from the leprosy mission came to my house. She noticed my hands and sent me for a test. I had leprosy. I'm thankful because she found me and made sure I had the medicine I needed. But I'm sad that I was cured too late to stop the damage to my hand. I need help to make my hand work again because I can't earn enough now. I work as fast as I can to pick as many leaves as possible, but I can only pick half the amount I used to. And half the leaves means half the pay. If my hand gets worse, I'll have no reason to live. I want to look after my family, to pick tea and earn enough. I don't want anyone else to suffer like me. I tell people to go to the doctor for treatment. Please help us to find people with leprosy so they can be cured. 
my dream is that there would be no more leprosy cases in the tea gardens. I work in the tea gardens and I diagnose and treat more than 250 people every year. I dress wounds caused by leprosy and teach people how to care for disabled limbs themselves. I am so, so happy every time someone is found and cured from leprosy. But I know there are so many more people who need to be found before it's too late. The disease is still spreading. We have to stop it right now. Please, will you help us? Today in the tea gardens of Bangladesh, there are many people like Aloka who need to be cured before leprosy devastates their bodies. People living in fear for the future. People losing the ability to work and care for their families. Leprosy must not be allowed to continue to spread. It must be rooted out now. We believe that every person deserves life in all its fullness. With your help, we will train healthcare workers to find, diagnose and cure people with leprosy. Your compassion can prevent disability, protect livelihoods and finally stop the spread of this disease. Together we can create a future where leprosy has no hold over families and communities in Bangladesh. A future where people will truly flourish. A gift of £10 a month gives life-changing reconstructive surgery to someone like a locker. A one-off gift of £24 cures one person of leprosy. £111 provides a pop-up clinic to find and diagnose. great to hear stories from the people themselves isn't it and to helps you to really connect um, this is a verse from 1 John this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay it down lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on them how can the love of God be in that person dear children let us not love with words and speech but with actions and in truth growing up in, uh, in, in Zaire as it was then the Congo um, there was me and my sister in the village and, and there was no other whites so we were we would play with the Africans um, and we were uh, you know that was that was our community. That was that was what we knew, and you know we would play games with them. So we'd teach them our games of playing risk and drafts and all sorts. And they'd teach us their games. They'd take us into the jungle and we'd make bows and arrows and all that kind of stuff. And had a lot of fun. Um, and there was no difference between us really. Uh, but as I grew older, I realised the only difference was that. I had options and I could dream. I could dream of becoming a fireman or a mechanic or a pilot or whatever I want to do. And they really didn't have anything to go to. Um, they, they went to primary school and there was actually a secondary school built there as well so they could go to school if they could pay for it. 
Um, but other than that, there really was, was nothing else to go to after that. There wasn't much work there. Um, and that was really, really struck me as the difference between us. Um, didn't really see colour as a difference or anything like that. Um, and since we've been back through my teenage years and into my 20s, I've really struggled with um, why, why was I born in Britain? You know, why, why wasn't I born in a poor country? And, you know, from reading the Bible, what do I do with that? Because we know that the Bible tells us that to him who's been given much, much will be required. Um, and I remember a few years ago, there was a, a poster campaign in, in a church I was in. Um, I can't remember if it was Water Aid or Tear Fund that did it. But it basically said that if you had cold running water in your house you were in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. So it's easy for us to you know, get sidetracked by the, the superstars and the footballers and compare ourselves to people who are doing really well. But in comparison to the rest of the world, we are doing really well. Um, really, no matter where we live in, in Britain, most of us are, are, are doing pretty well. Uh, and, and I've just really battled with, God, what do you want me to do with it? I don't know what to do. I, I want to honour you with who I am. Um, and I don't want to be selfish, but I live in this materialistic world and I want to provide for my family and we want to enjoy life. And I can't say I've got it right. Um, but it's been an ongoing battle that I've had. And this, this verse, and also in James where it says, you know, don't, don't say to someone, oh, that's terrible, we'll pray for you. you know, but you need to do something about their needs as well. So my call today to you is to, going back to that verse that we read earlier, to treat these people with leprosy as if you would, the same you would treat your own family. Because uh, that's what God calls us to do. It's hard for us to do that. It's easy for us to look at them as a remote thing far away. But God doesn't see it like that. He sees it as, here is people in need, and here is people with resource to do a need, to solve a need. Um, so we're called to, to partner with that, aren't we? And it's really important that we, we get a grip of, of how small the world is and how God sees us as brothers and sisters. And if we can help our brothers and sisters, that's what I want to urge you to do. When I joined the Leprosy Mission... God really put this, this verse on my heart from Matthew um, chapter 10 where he sends out his 12 disciples and he says, as you go, tell people the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead and cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. I don't know why Jesus separates the sick from those who have leprosy. But he does. And very clearly from the scriptures, God has a heart for those with leprosy, right from the Old Testament and through the New Testament. We've we read of the story of the, the ten lepers, as it says in the Bible. Bad translation these days. It's not very PC. We're not allowed to use that word. It's those who are affected by leprosy. Um, and the one who came back and, and was grateful. Um, you know, Jesus loves people with leprosy as much as he loves everyone else. And his heart is for them to be helped. 
and they're in a position where they can't help themselves. We heard on the video, £10 a month gives reconstructive surgery. When people get leprosy, leprosy is a disease that uh, affects the nervous system. So it breaks down your nervous system, so you begin to lose feeling. She said that it starts with uh, white patches on the skin, which are numb. Most people ignore those because no one really wants to be diagnosed with leprosy. Um, and then it will start to break down the nerves in your fingers and your feet and your eyelids, and you'll begin to lose the use of them. And as, as with a locker, it wasn't until she'd lost the use of her left hand that, well, fortunately for her, someone found her, actually. She didn't actually go and look for help, but someone found her, and they were able to stop the leprosy and treat it. But she'd already lost the nerves in her hand, so she can no longer use her hand. The reconstructive surgery they're able to do, and uh, had to watch the video of this operation for my part of my induction, we're joining the leprosy mission, a bit squeamish, so I didn't particularly enjoy it. But they cut the hand open, and uh, where, the, where the fingers have curled over and, and the tendons have, have shrunk back, uh, they're able to cut the tendons, and apparently we have a spare tendon in our hands. Who knew? Not me. So they connect the spare tendon to the four broken ones, cut ones, and then they're able to use their hands again. And in some instances, they're actually able to reverse the, the damage to the nerves as well. Uh, so they can start to feel. But she would at least be able to use her hands and pick tea leaves again, which would obviously give her her living back. Um, so that's the kind of reconstructive surgery they're talking about when they talk about this. As we heard as well, it costs just £24 to cure someone of leprosy, um, which is quite a bargain, really. Leprosy cure is three different types of antibiotics over 12 months. And uh, not only that, but also the 50 people closest to you will also be treated with a course of antibiotics for three months to make sure they don't catch it. Um, and all of that just costs us £24, as well as actually finding the people in the first place, uh, which is one of the hardest things. And of course, Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it also for me. And I can tell you that they are so thankful. Since I've been in the leprosy mission, I've heard lots of stories of how grateful these people are that someone will, will care enough to pray and to give and to help facilitate a, a health and care function the other side of the world to be able to treat them. Uh, when, no, when even their neighbours won't help them, you know. So they are incredibly grateful. Um, how are we doing on time? I haven't got a clock. We're okay. We have got a clock, is there? Okay, okay. We're run over. I'm okay. All right. So the, one of the leprosy patients, so where, where we were, malaria was a huge problem. Uh, we would get malaria really as often as you would get a common cold here. Um, and it would usually be treated with a, a course of anti-malarials over three weeks. And then over the next six weeks, you would, would regain your strength. Uh, Dad caught malaria once. And, uh, well, he caught it many times. But this particular time, he caught it, took his anti-malarials, didn't work. So he took a different course of anti-malarials, also didn't work. So they put him on pure quinine, which is a horrible drug. 
Um, but it really is the last resort when it comes to malaria. And uh, he was really ill. The quinine makes you really ill as well. He'd not been out of bed for six and a half weeks. And uh, I remember one afternoon, I was 10 years old, there was a knock on our door. Mum and my sister were uh, in another village. And uh, I answered the door. And um, one of the leprosy patients was stood there. Now, they, the leprosy patients live at the other end of the village from where we were, uh, which wasn't a big village, but when you can only sort of shuffle, and as I said, they didn't really venture more than 50 yards from their own house. It was quite a long way to come. Uh, it was a blazing hot day, and he'd come at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, presumably because everybody else was out of the way, so he wouldn't get ridiculed for walking through the village. Um, it was blazing hot. He said, I, I need to see um, the uh, Mondelli, the white person, the white man. Uh, I said, you, you can't see him. He's ill. He's in bed. Um, now, at this time, there was rumors beginning to spread around the village that dad was dying. Um, he's, and he just wouldn't say no for an answer. He said, I need to see him. I've got to see him. I said, you can't see him. And this argument went on for a bit of a while. Eventually, I got dad out of bed. He dragged himself to the door. He said, what do you want? And this leprosy mission in his, he, he didn't have, his fingers had been amputated. He just had stubs of fingers uh, on both hands and he, his hands were clasped together. He said, uh, Mondele, I've just come to give you this and to say thank you. And he unclenched his hands and he had two tiny little chicken eggs. He said, I've just come to say thank you for everything you've done for our village. Thank you for all the help that you've given us and everything you've done here. And these two eggs, you know, even as a 10-year-old boy, I realized the size of the gift that this man had given. Because they had nothing. And when I say they had nothing, they had nothing. They would get the leftovers from other people. And other people didn't have leftovers. It was a poor society that we lived in. Um, so I, and I just thought, if he'd have let those eggs grow into chickens, you know, that would have fed him for two months. They would eat like once a week, something like that. So the representation to me was just huge. And it reminded me of when Jesus was sat in the synagogue and uh, the lady came in and put the, the one mite, was it? And, and Jesus said, truly, I tell you, she has given more than anybody else, even though other people were giving lots more than that, um, because she's given out of what she didn't have. So they are comp they're so grateful. They really are grateful for any help that they get. Um, I've got other stories. I could go on all day, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so you will know. Oh, I'll tell you what. Just had a delivery yesterday of our latest New Day magazine. So there's some of those through there on the table. So you can pick this up. This will tell you a little bit about what's going on at the moment. Um, we've also got a kid's prayer sort of leaflet. So if you want to get something to pray with your kids or your grandkids, um, this is quite a good resource just to sit down with them, read through and help them to pray for people on the other side of the world who, who need prayer and need help. Some of you will know that we've been collecting stamps for a long time at the Leprosy Mission, since 1987. And uh, we have recently stopped that 
Um, but the stamp collecting has raised £1.8 million in all, so it has been a worthwhile project. Um, but times change, don't they? People don't collect stamps anymore, so there's no resale value in them, really. Um, so we've had to stop that. So we've got to come up with new ways of doing things, haven't we? I was at a church in um, the Isle of Man a few, few months ago, and a uh, similar-sized congregation to this, and they presented me with a huge cheque of £1,800. And I thought, how on earth have this group of people raised all this money? It turns out there was two ladies in the congregation who made jam. Well, one made jam, one made marmalade. And they sold this all over the island. And most of that money was raised by these two ladies with a little bit of entrepreneurialism, doing what they love to do as a hobby, and all the proceeds would go to the leprosy mission. I thought, that's fantastic. So I'm encouraging people to be entrepreneurial. In, uh, in Deuteronomy, the Bible tells us that it is God who gives us the ability to create wealth. And God has made us, and he has created us in his own image. Therefore, he has created us to be creative people, hasn't he? So we express our creativity in many different ways, but he does give us the ability to create wealth as well. Um, so I was thinking, my, my son, my 11-year-old, likes making cookies. Um, and I thought, what a great way to get your kids or your grandkids. Bake some cookies with them, have some fun with them, and then take them around the neighbours, because who can say no to kids selling cookies? You know? And then, plus, especially if it's you know, raising money, ooh, breaking the place, uh, for, for people affected by leprosy. Uh, we also... Or encouraging people to run a quiz or have a tea party. So if you like afternoon tea, you can host a tea party, either in your church or in your garden, probably better. Um, so we've got some leaflets on these. Um, and I just think what a great way as a church for us to host something at home, which is non-churchy because it's raising money for a good cause, raising money for mercy mission, which people like to support, but it introduces people to the church as well, doesn't it? And it's, I just think it's a great evangelism tool. If we, if we play it right, we can host a tea party, an afternoon tea, and we can get people introduced to church at the same time. And we get to raise money for people affected by leprosy to help people out. So just encourage you to be entrepreneurial. It's not only about what you can dip into your own pocket to help with, but it's about how we can create wealth to be able to help people who Jesus loves on the other side of the world, as well as those he loves here. Um, and that's not to neglect what we do here. You know, my, my family, uh, we live with our, my mum and dad. Um, God gave us a small farm a couple of years ago, and we run a community garden there, a mental health and well-being retreat centre, Christian retreat centre, and an Airbnb project as well just to try and help people out, you know. It's not only about what happens in the third world, it's also about what happens here. But we can pull it all together, and when we pull people together, we make everybody stronger, don't we? Um, so, yes. Um, and just to say, we don't only do talks in churches, we also do them in rotary clubs, and in schools, 
and in business forums. I'm really keen to link with some businesses um, to create ways, again, of making both parties stronger, the leprosy mission and the business. And I think there's ways of doing that. I think partnering with people is the way forward. So I'm going to end there. Keep going on too much. Uh, I've got some cash envelopes next door if you want to donate by cash. Uh, I have a card reader as well. So if you've not brought cash and you want to give by card, you can do. Uh, you can set up direct debits. That's Some people like to pay £24 a month to heal one person of leprosy a month. Other people like to do it a year, so split it over a year. Other people want to do the reconstructive surgery to give people the use of their hand back or their feet as well, get the similar operations so they can walk again. Um, so I'll be next door with our tea and coffee. So every time you have a cup of tea from now on, hopefully that's every day for most of us because we're British, you'll be reminded of these people in the tea gardens of Bangladesh and um, of what you can do to help them. Thank you. <laughs>